0: As we begin this week in which we offer our Thanksgiving on Thursday here in our country, I wanted to express my sincere gratitude to all of the listeners that have found me on the America Out Loud network and have followed me on the different social media networks as well doing the live shows. This week, I bring you episodes around my conversation and uh, Chris Michaels, my co-host with Simon Essler. Simon Esler is a writer, a filmmaker. He's a, uh, unschooling father. He's been on a, a longtime mission to tell the truth in going the war against free thought and human liberty. He has 15 years of a background as far as making theater, five years as a professional content creator and background as a former minister as well. And I find that he's able to bring laughter and insight with great emotional intelligence in the conversations and so this week, you're going to get three episodes from that conversation with Simon Essler. Enjoy. So sit back, grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever it is that you're into. You're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America Out Loud Network. America Emboldened. Greg, I feel emboldened. You don't know the Founding Fathers. You don't know what they do. You don't know what they sacrifice. We have lost touch with the principles in the Constitution. Nobody's read the Declaration of Independence. You are voting for socialism, and you got what you voted for. All right. Welcome, bold Americans, to another episode. This is a great one here today. I cannot wait. So we're going to get straight into it. Chris Michaels, what a blast this is going to be. Simon Esler have been following this guy for a while. He is funny. He's Canadian, which I think Canadians, they're like the nicest people. I don't know. Have you ever met a mean Canadian before?
1: <laughs> no, I haven't.
0: I haven't Honestly either. I mean, God. Justin Trudeau's about as close as I can think of, of a mean, but I, I call him more evil than anything.
1: Right. But he does it in a, in a kind of a. Uh, a nice looking way is
0: is (laughs) like almost like a Fidel Castro way. Is that what you're trying to say?
1: Yeah. faux Fidel Fidel light.
0: Yeah. Like maybe as if like, you know, they were related in some distant universe or maybe not so distant. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) Well, well, maybe Simon has like the, the four one one on that, you know, like that would be pretty cool. Maybe,
1: maybe he could give us some insight into all of this because we live in a world now that is Built upon lies, everything we see in the media, all the propaganda out there, everything is some half-truth that we need to break through. And I hope that we get some answers and at least some assistance on how to do something like that.
0: Well, I I think we're about to. And, And I was just teaching my class today. On camera operations, and I was telling my students, "I'm going to teach you how to become professional liars. What you do with that skill is up to you. You can use it for good, you can use it for bad. But ultimately, if you become a propagandist, I disown you and I never taught you." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, let's get straight into it. Let's get Simon up into the conversation because he's waiting so patiently. What because he's a Canadian? What else would he be doing? <laughs> 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 Simon, welcome to the show. So glad to have you here.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: So, uh, Simon, I'm going to start off the show today playing your clip that first introduced me to your work. Um, It is a video that I guess originally was on TikTok. And if people don't know, TikTok's a world of illusions to begin with. They pull down content. Faster than anybody else, and here we have a Chinese company uh, <laughs> that's doing this. But you got about fifty thousand views on this video within the first twenty-four hours. So I'm going to start off the show today with this, and kind of get us into this fifth generation warfare. Talk about why people are emotional. Talk about the brain fog that people are experiencing, and that I talked about on my show just yesterday. And uh, we're going to really get into it. Let's crack the uh, let's crack in. Here we go. Generational warfare. Uh, no, that's not the one I want. I want the one I say no. The mandates. Here it is.
2: It's incredible to me that people struggle to understand why someone would decline the vaccine in the passport system. Because anyone with a brain knows that there will be the same unending hysteria coming from public health experts about new variants forever. Now, current studies coming out of Israel show that the Pfizer vaccine wanes within three to five months. So we're all in this together, communism. And also you'll need the latest booster or you can't take transit to work. So you're not just asking me to take a vaccine. You're asking me to receive vaccines as a lifestyle choice. You're asking me to accept an unending streak of vaccines, not only for the rest of my life, but as a condition of my freedom. Do you understand how dumb you are if you think anyone's opposition to this maniacal proposition is in any way inappropriate? No, I don't want infinite boosters forever as a condition of my own freedom. What the hell? Why is anyone advocating for this? Vaccines. An unending stream of vaccines for me and my children and all children who will be born into this dystopia. You want a world where pharmaceutical companies are tasked with perpetually producing the one and only substance that can lend us temporary conditional freedom? Use a small, tiny burst of free thought. Just a little bit. Why are there people saying no to... Forever vaccines is a condition of life on earth. Why do we exist? Is it hard to understand why this level of submission is unacceptable? Please. All of you attempting to shame your fellow humans for standing against an obvious attempt to redesign our society into a tyrant's wet dream are failing to think clearly. No, we do not want infinite vaccines forever. Okay? (laughs) Yeah, thanks.
0: I love it. (laughs) So. So, <laughs> I heard this and it matched up and aligned so much of what I was talking about at that time, two years ago when this first was published. Here we are in 2023. They're still trying to scare us and tell us that the next variant might kill us. They're still trying to push this vaccine across all multiple different countries. I just was, uh, I've had Dr. Peter McCullough on the show a few times here. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work. He's actually on the network with me. So he's, he's a colleague of mine. Um, and. Dr. McCullough has called for removal of these vaccines because he said they don't do what was intended. They're doing damage and causing death. And as a result, they should not be being put into humans whatsoever, but we continue to push them. And we also are seeing the studies now are coming out in the peer-reviewed papers that there's no efficacy in even preventing things like long COVID or all these other symptoms that people are talking about. So, it's insanity that people are continuing the fall for this, but you were a prophet two years ago. So let's start there. What was it about your life that enabled you like myself to spot this, but for you to be able to call this out much more eloquently than I was able to.
2: Well, I mean, I think I've been in a sort of alternative, more conspiratorial space for many years now. Uh, So I was already living outside of a lot of these narratives Um, I had already been raising my children from the, uh, position of unschooling. So, you know, we weren't even a homeschooling family. We were like fully on the outside, unschooling our children, you know, focused on child led learning. Um, we had been into alternative health medicine and I had seen the benefits of a lot of that very directly. And i had seen the corruption of Western medicine. So, so intimately, um, to the point, you know, that, um, I was actually my father's primary caregiver in the last two years of his life and so i was the one speaking with the doctors and the nurses and i actually got to a point where i was meeting with a cancer specialist for my father and i brought up diet and i I brought up you know what are the implications of diet with cancer what kind of diet might support him now give him strength how might it have been involved in any of this And the cancer specialist at the time told me it's totally unrelated. Your father can eat whatever he wants, and it has nothing to do with his cancer. So I had those kinds of experiences that really helped me build a personal foundation for the deep, deep corruption that is running through the Western medical system. And it helped me get a grasp of um, how that corruption looks on a number of levels. Number one, just people who are so... Um, ideologically captured and so intellectually um, and cognitively entrenched that they cannot see beyond that model. So I would, you know, use that doctor, that cancer specialist, as an example of that. This is a well-meaning person who's so cognitively entrenched that he cannot see beyond any of that. But then it seems that you also have very ill-intended people at the top of this system who actually are are willfully seeking to engineer forms of illness and destruction in human beings. I had also spent a lot of time studying communism. And so to, to me, to see the overt intersection between communism and Western science come together, uh, I mean, it was such obvious nonsense. So, you know, I put that video out there and, it, you know, I very, very soon after that, I got... Just kicked right off TikTok. I tried a few more times, but they've kicked me off about three times since that video, actually.
0: (laughs) Yeah, TikTok actually recently, I had a video that I put up um, where I had a gentleman from this organization called Free Organ, Ben Edel. And he has three court cases right now that are challenging the elections in meaningful ways, uh, things that you're not hearing in the national headlines. And so I cover this on the TikTok page, which I really don't get on there too much. I'm just not dedicated to TikTok, but a person told me to go kill myself after I posted this video that I'm spreading conspiracy theories and everything else. And so I responded to that person. I said, Oh, look, it's Halloween. You have your clown outfit on. And I just basically was like, you know, before you bring hate upon like all of this, let's just approach this with love. Uh, I'm just providing a message. I'm just a host of a show. These aren't my words. These are Ben Edel's words. And within just minutes, my post gets removed. Why? For bullying and harassment. This other gentleman's post telling me to go jump off a bridge and kill myself continues to stand to this day. I reported it. And you know, TikTok said, we see no problem with this. And so, Simon, that's kind of gets into some of this conversation we're going to talk about today. The manipulation of media that's all around us, the double set of rules or the uh, ambiguity of rules when we get onto social media, the fake engagements that are out there, uh, when you have people that are doing good work and they can't gain traction. Meanwhile, you have people that it seems like they are the cool kids. They'll allow to sit at the cool table and have their message spread. And you just mentioned communism and I'm watching as I'm supporting messages for calls for peace, but I'm also aware I'm actually getting in bed with renowned communists when I do that. And so I'm going, wait a minute, I don't want to be hijacked into this. And so everybody is distracted and no one's actually seeing things for how they actually are. Is that a fair assessment?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the fog of war uh, has evolved because war has evolved. And so now, you know, when we talk about the fog of war, we have to talk about it in terms of cyber warfare. We have to talk about it in terms of corrupt social media, you know, uh, establishments, uh, you know, the monopoly on news media. You know, having a, a media conglomerate that is so centralized in power and in messaging uh, that you cannot even think outside of the narratives they're handing you. And sometimes that's not just one narrative. Sometimes that media conglomerate will produce two seemingly opposing narratives so that you don't see the third thing that's really going on outside of those. And it's manifest in different ways. You know, in America, you know, there's a corporatocracy that has manifested that media conglomerate. Whereas here in Canada, you know, you're really looking at a lot of just overtly state-controlled media that just really does the bidding of the Trudeau regime, let's say, um, and gets a lot of its funding from the people of Canada. Um, but either way, you're looking at centralized forms of power that are producing this new fog of war. Um, and that's on top of just the kind of uh, the struggle that we have as... Western people in a Western world who've developed in a particular direction where we don't even realize what modern life has done to our brains to even begin with.
0: But well, that, that's an interesting thing to talk about. So let's start with the brain and then we'll get into the generational warfare concepts and, and let's start with the brain because I just did a show on this. I'm not sure if you saw the studies that have come out recently, but uh, the New York Times ran an article last week that said that for the first time in history, People in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are becoming disabled from serious mental decline, cognitive issues that when shown on an MRI, it's showing that people are uh, having brain damage and they don't know what's causing it. But a couple of scientists, well, an economist first, you got to love when an economist weighs in on matters of neuroscience, but an economist is like, I'm sure this is long COVID because it started at the same time. I actually looked at the data. It really started a little bit later in 2021 uh, with the data they were collecting, which tells me that it could be long COVID. It could also be mRNA. It could also be 5G. You know, But oh my God, we can't have these conversations. If we start talking about 5G, you're a conspiracy theorist. Despite the fact that What I teach every single day is broadcast engineering, and I understand that 5G actually interacts with oxygenated particles, which means it can reduce the blood flow of oxygenation through the brain, through the lung tissue, if you're in heavy, dense environments with this. There are peer-reviewed papers on that that I can actually bring up as well. So I'm wondering, what are you seeing through your research and what you're looking at, what is the cause of the cognitive decline in the world? You know, why are we seeing 20, 30, 40 year olds unable to critically think? And uh, what explains that? Is it long COVID? Is it 5G? Is it a blend of everything? Is it mRNA? What, what do you believe?
2: Well, I don't commit to absolute certainty in these kinds of topics. I'm very careful with certainty. And that actually sort of ties into what I believe uh, is going on to a great extent. Um, There's a really excellent book called The Master and His Emissary by Ian McGilchrist. And this looks at the ways in which the Western world has become entrenched in the left hemisphere of the brain. And this is at the expense of all the forms of cognition that we get from the right hemisphere of the brain. And uh, one of the things that comes with left hemisphere entrenchment is an abundance of certainty, a kind of obsession with certainty, but certainty that is very rigid in terms of it being kind of mechanistic, reductionist, uh, very, very um, related to scientism and these very simplistic ways of laying out the world. Uh, Now, this also relates to disembodiment because uh, the left hemisphere processes the body much like a machine. It looks at the body as just a series of parts that function together, whereas it is the right hemisphere of the brain that helps us experience embodied consciousness being fully in our bodies and using what I like to call whole body cognition, right? where you're actually cognizing the world with your entire vehicle and all its senses in this holistic way. So in becoming entrenched in the left hemisphere, we have become disassociated with our bodies, We have become obsessed with a sort of reductionist form of certainty um, at the expense of doubt, at the expense of uncertainty, at the expense of nuance, and at the expense of being able to do things like cognize multiple different narratives that might even be contradictory. Um, And to be able to cognize two different contradictory narratives and not attach to either of them. These are the kinds of skills that we're losing. We've also seen um, that this entrenchment into the left hemisphere of the brain, it really began with the Industrial Revolution because, you know, this was kind of a natural thing. The Industrial Revolution represented this time in which we started grasping the material world, uh, you know, with much more control. And that's very left hemisphere. And so what happened was... In, in producing this industrial world, it was a natural form of human progress, but it also just kind of reaffirmed the left hemisphere's materialist, scientist uh, scientism view of the world, um, which has come at the expense of really being able to cognize life through the right hemisphere. Um, there's been a huge decline in happiness, even as we've become wealthier, even as our control over the material world has expanded, we've become less and less happy. And um, one of the major things that can be attributed to that loss in happiness is a loss in the depth um, of our relationships with other people, the depth and complexity of relationships that are in-person relationships, where again, we're using the whole body to cognize another human being or in the aura of another human being. You see the decline of these things and you see happiness drop. So to me, the way that I like to look at it is that um, this is the state of the cognitive battlefield, all the warfare aside, So all the psychological operations uh, ongoing in big tech and in the news media, all of that aside, the cognitive battlefield has the Western world entrenched in the left hemisphere because that's where we have developed in our sort of uh, lack of awareness as a sort of immature species that has just found our way into this new position of manipulating the world. And so we become severed from spirituality, from intuition, and from these forms of embodiment. And I think this has led to a a huge rise in mental illness, in reduced cognition. And in fact, um, there's some interesting comparisons that Ian McGilchrist makes in his book, The Master and His Emissary, where he looks at this left hemisphere entrenchment and looks at it from the perspective of the collective being stuck in this place. And it very much matches up with forms of schizophrenia and what happens to the schizophrenic brain. And so I think there, there's a lot to be said about our sort of collective mental illness and how that trickles down into the daily lives of people who are trying to make sense of the world and trying to find happiness and are really not, uh, not particularly able to do that because they're not quite aware of how they've been conditioned by the environment they were born into. And I think that that's a really important thing that I want to help people understand more about.
0: Yeah, I'm in a great, yeah, I'm in a high school setting uh, during the day, but I started in grade school and I started teaching way back when 2001, right after September 11th, traumatizing time for many people here in America. Um, And I don't remember having as many children with generalized anxiety disorders as many children with body dysmorphia, uh, with many children with just various mental ills back then. But sometime around 2014, 2015, I started noticing that people that were young had more and more pressures. And I couldn't help but relate that to social media as being one of the reasons why. The filters, everything that was fake, the teenagers were comparing themselves to others. But then one of the the worst things happened in 2020. We told people you couldn't go to school. We told people you can't go play with your, your, your classmates down the road. And they took the basketball nets. They took them off the hoops and they put shields so you couldn't actually shoot a basketball. You couldn't enjoy nature. I mean, what the hell? We're wondering how they destroyed society at this point in time. They destroyed the mental health of society by weaponizing the need for human contact, the need for us to even have this conversation, Simon, like I always tell my guests, I love getting to interview people because it makes my world a little bit smaller. It's that personal connection. I feel like I always, I'm making friends every time I do a show. It's it's awesome. Human beings were made for relation. They were made to be a reflection of an image of oneself into another person within that relation. And so everything you're saying, it's it's, it's spot on, but here's where I know people are going to push back. They're going to push back and they're going to be like, yeah, what type of warfare is there actually? And I mean, Chris, what did Facebook do as far as warfare against the people uh, just several years ago that we now have the documents about?
1: They banned everybody. And they were taking orders at the behest of the government and its various agencies. Now, it wasn't maybe directly from the government. It was through a non-governmental organization. So it was laundered. So, the government wanted something done. They gave it to an NGO. The NGO consulted with Facebook. And then, lo and behold, everybody is banned. And then we don't have a free flow of information. It's very disturbing about what type of world we're moving into. And Simon, you mentioned that people are entrenched in the left hemisphere type of thinking in the brain. Well, we all know at this point that there is a tie to the reptilian brain. But do you think? that this left hemisphere entrenchment is a physical embodiment of the left hand path of the people that are at the top.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. When you look at, you know, certain sects of, uh, you know, Luciferianism, Satanism, there is a devotion to the material realm, um, to the manipulation of the material realm, to, um, you know, to rejecting anything beyond the material realm. Um, you know, this is uh, a way of looking at the world, uh, You know, from uh, for many of the people in these positions of power who are religious from that perspective, uh, this definitely matches up with that. And I would say um, a lot of what we're seeing also matches up with the principle of inversion. Of inverting right. the natural order, and we can see this in lots of different ways. You know, you can see this with the epidemic of children seeking to change their genders um, and to invert their genders and to change the the you know the gender that they were born with. Um, we can see it in the way that you know justice is being, um, I guess, a, a failure of justice is occurring, where people who are overtly committing crimes are protected and people who are defenders of justice are attacked. You can see the way that manifesto of that recent shooter was hidden for what was it, seven weeks, um, just to protect that particular narrative. We see lots of different forms of this principle of inversion, I think, playing out. Um one to you I,
1: one more before you yeah, go on. Yeah, go and for that, it. That that is the pride flag inverting the colors of the chakra. It starts with the red up top and it also removes the throat chakra, which is, I find interesting because now your root chakra is at your crown and your crown is in where your root chakra should be. So everything, the the channel, the crown that's supposed to have a, a higher connection, a connection to a higher awareness is now focused on your physical aspects associated with sexuality. So I think that that inversion is extremely important because it explains a lot of this identity that we're experiencing with all of these people. Like, oh, yes, I have to identify as my my sexual preference. Do you? There's nothing else about you. You're not interesting in any other way. You don't like literature. You don't like science. I have to acknowledge that you you prefer a certain aspect of yourself in the bedroom. (laughs) So it's it's very you're you're spot on with the inversion. It's fantastic.
2: Yeah, and you're absolutely right. The way that that particular agenda, you know, when we're looking at the long term uh, narrative in terms of uh, same sex rights, you know, for example, um, that long term agenda has played out in very specific ways. Because again, the focus of that agenda and the the creation of pride culture, you know, literally a gay pride culture, um, it's hypersexual, as we can all see. And, you know, this was true before there were drag queens stripping in front of children. You know, I would go to the Toronto Pride Parade. And this was already true, that that culture was hypersexual already, right? They were already immersed in that very... Studio
1: 54, right? (laughs) I mean, I grew up in New York City. So, I mean, I've seen it all from a very young age.
2: (laughs) You know, there's a really... I refer to these documents a lot because they are so specific... Uh, they're so explicit in the warfare they describe. But there's these documents called the Toronto Protocols. Um, and they allegedly outlined two meetings that were held by these, uh, these globalist Luciferians. They called themselves the 666. And they allegedly had two meetings in Toronto in the mid-60s and the mid-80s. And they're outlining their warfare strategy to install the New World Order. And they explain exactly how they're going to do that. So they go through the the steps of what they've done so far and the vision they have for the future, and they walk through it very carefully. Now they call their warfare strategy, the genocide of the vital for the benefit of the occult. And one of the things they focus on is what they call the errancy of the spirit of man. Um, and, And one of the translations of this is to cause man's spirit to wander um, to become errant, to move away from its origins and and to really try to push uh, a life of leisure, um you know, enjoyment through bodily pleasures, and at the same time, hypersexualized children. And the way they phrase uh, this sort of agenda that has now exploded in our culture from what they did with the same sex rights movement, was to legalize various forms of homosexuality, which is how they were talking about it in the mid-60s. And they sought to do this because they wanted to create a particular inversion that they described as um, making the exception uh, the norm, right? To invert the exception and the norm and to make the exception the rule for all these different areas of society. And this is what they understood as a particular tactic that they could employ... That would implode the Judeo-Christian fabric of our society so that they could create the fall of nation states and subsequently install a new world order. Now, I find this very beneficial to understand because in warfare, you have three different tiers. You have the, the primary strategic objective. So if we're gonna look at, you know, this, this group, this potential group of globalists. Um, their primary strategic objective is this new world order. But then below strategy, you always have operations and then operations are made up of tactics. I find this three-tiered structure very clarifying because now I can look around me and I can assess different operations that are going on. I can see things like Facebook, you know, and the the way that Facebook has become a, uh, an operation for, you know, different kinds of warfare. You know, I know that at one point Facebook made it okay for uh, white and mega supporters to receive death threats while basically everyone else on the platform was not allowed. There were whistleblowers mm-hmm. that came out through Project Veritas that made that very clear that that was the culture there. So I can look at these and I can say, okay, do any of these operations, do they tie back to that primary strategic objective? would they support this reordering of society? And so this, to me, has been a helpful way of looking at the world, not in terms of being certain about that, but being able to orient myself and live a life that responds according to what I am surrounded by and what I'm seeing being played out. So, you know, I found those documents very, very helpful uh, in terms of clarifying what's going on around us and trying to get a sense of what is the enemy up to and what is their long-form, you know, Operation that's ongoing
0: here. All right. We're going to take a quick break here, Simon and Chris. Uh, We're going to get a word in from our sponsors, but when we get back, we're going to discuss fifth generation warfare. I'm going to give you my perspective on it from me being in the classroom, teaching about the different generations of media, radio, and television. And then Simon, hoping to get a little bit of feedback from you on that. Make sure I understand what we're going to lay out properly. All right, everybody, make sure you're going over to americaoutloud.news. It's also part of the America Out Loud talk radio network. It's hosted right there. You can find it on all of your favorite app devices as well. You just go to your app stores and type in America Out Loud talk radio provides you 24 seven, 365 days a year. Talk radio brilliance as well as podcasts like myself. And as always, I appreciate you guys being here supporting me if you'd like to support the show, you can go to the buymeacoffee.com backslash bold America. I would appreciate that because I am supported independently by v- listeners and viewers like you. We'll be right back after this brief break. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to America Emboldened with Greg Bolden, Chris Michaels, and my special guest, Simon Esler.
1: Change in the world, one person at a time.
0: Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order.
1: The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with OxyPowder.
0: So I teach uh, in the classroom about the generations of television. And when you get through the first generation of television, it was the inventors, right? It was Philo Farnsworth getting the tube uh, Vladimir's work in, getting the TVs out to people. And then we get into the second generation of television where the inventors kind of know what to do with it because radio had already paved the course. And the FCC and all government organizations, they kind of know how to control the media to get the message out to people. And it became very much uh, about uh, almost a propaganda of who could sponsor things. Uh, so you would have like the camel news hour where cigarettes would literally be sponsoring the news for people. And then when you get into the third generation, that finally gets kicked out of there. And we get to kind of like the uh, 60s and 70s where news media starts to get ethics. I'm going to putting that in quotes there. And then you get into the fourth generation, which is where we've been for a long period of time, where we've developed into satellite uh, broadcast, a different form of broadcasting. But I believe we're in the fifth generation at this point of broadcasting. And I know that that's a fact because we're doing this right now on all social media networks. Anyone, anywhere with the social media network that knows to find this today or tomorrow or the day after can find it, which means that information's flowing in a much different way. Now you've been bringing up on shows that you go on and in in your own work, fifth generation warfare. And Chris had told me that he first heard that from uh, Michael Flynn. Is that right, Chris? Was that Michael Flynn?
1: Uh, no, he wrote a book on it.
0: He wrote a book on Uh, it. Okay.
1: Right. And so I, I, he's dubious at best, but he did write a book on it. So.
0: Okay, so let me let me go through what my understanding is of the generations of warfare, Simon, and then if you could maybe clarify fifth generation warfare because I want to make sure that my listeners and the audiences that find this that that they really have a good definition. So my my first part would be first generation warfare is the type of war that was felt uh, fought long before we had the weapons that we have now, long before we had televisions, radio. And that's back when they used to line up and fire muskets at one another. Uh, The second generation would be after the industrial revolution. We get into industrialized uh, and we're maybe dealing with breech loading weapons at that point in time. We might get some motorized vehicles that are starting to happen by the third generation. uh, When I looked at this, we talked about the armored units having military aircraft, airborne forces talk about world war II. And by the fourth generation, we were starting into a postmodern decentralized form of war. That's what we saw in uh, September 11, 2001, right? Guerrilla tactics, if you if you believe that's the full narrative of the story of the Taliban, they organized and did this. But I'm just putting that out there. Private military contractors went to war during that time. Uh, we found out we have a, a completely industrialized military complex beyond just the government. And then the fifth generation, I'm guessing it's getting to like the social engineering. It's getting to the uh, social media networks. But I want to point out one thing that's happening during these generations, because I think this is the most important part. And I didn't hear you on the the podcast a couple of weeks talk about, so that's why I want to tie it in because I know that you'll be into this. Let's monitor third generation, fourth generation, and fifth generation warfare with radio development television broadcasting and social media. And when you bring all of that together, and then you have things like the Twitter files where we find out that the FBI has been working alongside Twitter and Facebook, and they've been flagging certain Americans that you find out that the Canadian government was doing things to its own citizens. You start to realize that nothing is exactly how it seems. And I think that helps me understand your fifth generation warfare uh, points a little bit more. Tell me how I did. Did I sum that up pretty well? And what do you feel that we need to clarify to have this conversation tonight?
2: Yeah, that's a pretty good summary of the trajectory of warfare. And I think the things that I would add about fifth generation warfare, uh, the two main things that I really tend to focus on are number one, that it is warfare designed to hide the fact that it is warfare. So those who are being attacked are not meant to know they're even in a war or that they're being attacked. It's meant to blend itself into the sort of fabric of everyday life to a great extent. So a lot of fifth generation warfare cannot be initially perceived as warfare. And the other thing I would add is that we're really looking at a war, a war of narratives, that it is primarily composed of narrative warfare. And to be able to navigate the fog of this warfare, we have to be able to cognize many different narratives and to be able to wade through the sort of sea of narratives that are being rained down upon us. So I think those are the, the two basic things that I would add.
0: Uh, the one thing that I heard you talk about that really hit me pretty impactfully was you talked about the emotional state of society and that this fifth generation warfare is meant to keep us in that emotional state. So we can't use our right brain. Can, can you talk a little bit about more more of what you've uncovered on that
2: yeah there seems to be a really strong desire to manipulate our emotional intelligence um and to disassociate us from the way that emotional intelligence is supposed to function so there has to be a certain level of mindfulness to be able to navigate this if you look at the way that uh, certain warfare narratives trigger people emotionally um, it's helpful to look at your emotional intelligence, you know, as something that produces waves. Let's say you have these emotional waves. And if you are put in a position where you feel pressured to make decisions about what's going on and decisions about your life, when you're in the middle of this emotional wave, um, you're deeply, deeply misled and um, you're. You're put in a position where you can't use that emotional intelligence correctly. And what I mean by that is that um, if you look at the emotional intelligence as something that produces waveforms, then you can understand that the way that emotions create meaning for us is spread out over time. And we can all see this very clearly in our lives. When we have something that impacts us in our life and we move through the emotional wave of that event and you come to the end of that. There's, there's a sort of tranquility when that has come to an end. There's a form of neutrality that arrives, but it is the contrast between that emotional neutrality you've arrived upon and the intensity of that wave that create meaning and allow us to proceed according to that deeper kind of meaning that we've generated through our emotional intelligence. Now, the nuance within this struggle is that... Um, if you don't have a certain amount of mindfulness, if you don't have control over your mind's tendencies, then your mind can keep you trapped in these emotional states and keep reproducing them. And you never get to that tranquility at the end where there's clarity. And so I think this is an important um, way to orient oneself because we are meant to have an emotional response to what's going on in the world. Of course, if there's a bloody war somewhere else in the world and you experience information that points you towards that possibility as a human being, you should not be emotionally disassociated in the way that you respond to that. But you want to be mindful of the way in which um, your internal dialogue can be programmed to then keep you in an emotional state where you never get to that clarity. And the other thing I'll add is that the clarity that we can achieve when we um, arrive naturally upon these forms of emotional neutrality really connects us to free thought. And I think free thought is a concept that more people need to understand with greater clarity. Free thought is the capacity to, um, to cognize the world using logic, reason, and empiricism without relying on dogma, authority, and tradition and I'll bring people's focus to empiricism because it it plays such a huge role in the capacity to think freely. Empiricism is the philosophy that the body and its senses are our most direct access to truth and knowledge, and that the body is designed to help us find truth in the world. Now, this is especially important, because in fifth generation warfare, you are not only being emotionally triggered all the time, but you are being disembodied because so much of this war is in the digital domain and lies within the realm of the mind war and the information war. So you're put in this place of perpetual disembodiment. So from that position, you're already losing the body's access to be able to sense truth. And Then on top of that, you're being emotionally triggered and there's a lot of people that are functioning from that place without the discipline of being able to watch their mind's ability to keep us in an emotional state. And they're not waiting for that emotional neutrality to access what is meaningful with our within our emotional intelligence and then to pair that with the art of free thought.
0: Wow. Uh, so, Simon, I'm listening to this, and this is the best part of a friend of mine that's shared this video a long time ago with me he had said to me, he's like, man, this video is great. You know, the we showed at the beginning, listen to him. And when I looked you up, I was like, okay, he's a filmmaker. He's an actor. I don't know. Like, I don't know about getting him on the show. And so when I, when I heard you on the podcast last week, I'm sitting there listening to this going, Oh boy, I am a putz. What am I doing? I need to get him booked. (laughs) You know, you just quoted John Locke. Right, you're talking about empiricism, and I've talked about John Locke on the show a lot when I talk about the founding of our country and uh, talk about the age of enlightenment and what led to the classical thought. But I'm curious because you know, I, I realized that I did something to you that is really uh, what we're talking about, I made a judgment about what you were qualified to speak on the same way that everybody makes a judgment right now you know during the pandemic people are like are you a scientist well then trust the science well no but i read a lot of papers i read peer reviewed papers do you know how to interpret those papers did you go to the school for that no but you know what there's this little section that interprets it for you that allows you to read what other scientists have found why is it that we have this gut response that we need to have people qualified in order to speak to us because you certainly have the knowledge base. And I guess, where did you get your knowledge base? Uh, what has, what have you developed this, uh, over all, all all these years to bring you to being able to speak eloquently on these, these points?
2: Well, you know, I'll say that before I even understood the concept of empiricism, I realized that it's something that I was relying upon deeply. I was really looking to have my own life show me the truth and to gather it with my physical body to be in the spaces of the truths that I was seeking. So, you know, I've led a very winding life. And I think there's always been this pressure to rely on the experts. That's, that's always been around. And it's always something I've felt relatively critical of. And it actually does relate to our left hemisphere entrenchment. The desire to outsource our expertise to another, to an authority, is very much related to that. But I'll say in terms of empiricism, you know, I started off my career in content making actually being um, tied into the ufology community. Um, And that happened quite naturally because I had actually had experiences as a very uh, as a young boy when I was 10 or 11. I had seen things in the sky. I had seen things I couldn't describe in any other terms. I had had direct experiences, and so I very naturally started seeking out truths in that realm, and I ended up working in that space for a number of years and even presenting at a couple of different ufology conferences. So I became very connected to this idea of trying to get the direct experiences that would bring me to deeper truths that was kind of already embedded in my life path. Um, I ended up starting a business where I was working as a mindfulness and meditation coach, um, and so I had a lot of very deep experience, uh, deep, powerful experiences with meditation and guiding others over the years. Some of that was just with, it started with just close friends of mine, but eventually I was working with CEOs and people running these big companies who were so stressed and they really wanted to have uh, deeper forms of peace and calm. And you know, that led me to a different part of my life path where I ended up, uh, becoming ordained as a minister performing, um, uh, customized wedding ceremonies. And this is all while I was working as an actor and also as a personal support worker. And I ended up applying my mindfulness work to helping people on the autistic spectrum and guiding children and adults with autism in in their communities and in their lives using mindfulness. Um, And so, you know, I've had this very sort of winding life path um, that has allowed me to begin to really trust, deeply trust my own life experiences and when I have an expert that tells me to distrust what I have experienced directly with my own body, then i I just no longer allow that. It's not going to happen for me, you know? Um, one final example I'll give is that having worked with numerous families, with children on the autistic spectrum, I had numerous mothers approach me and say that it was their opinion that there was particular injections that had caused that condition in their children. This is coming from the mothers who describe their children having that experience. Now, that doesn't mean it's a fact. I don't take that as certainty. But again, without being on the internet looking for conspiracies, I had people arrive in my life and give me information directly. And I I have gone from that place and looked to build an understanding of the world that makes sense of what has come directly into my life. So I think that's a big part of, um, you know, my journey is really connecting to empiricism as a, a foundational principle in my life. And then really coming into the actual definition of that years later, I was relieved, you know, it was really a great thing to be like, hey, that's that thing that's helped me so much throughout so much of my
1: life that is fantastic stuff i mean i you don't know me from adam but i'm a reiki master too um i have uh, well i don't think you said you were a reiki master but i've uh, done a lot of meditation work and um it's it's truly enlightening and i've had quite a few experiences as well um i guess my question is have you read any of marcus aurelius and stoicism do you think that could help people regain control of their emotional awareness and emotional well-being?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think those old teachings on stoicism are really important because uh, they, they I think, have been misinterpreted. I think pe- when people talk yeah. about stoicism, they they sort of imagine like old curmudgeon men right. who are like emotionally <laughs> yeah. repressed, they're these stoics. Sure. And um, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think the art of stoicism really is the art of waiting for that emotional clarity of allowing your emotions to play out, but not using that, that emotional wave as a decision-making tool. I really think that is a, a very pure way of understanding it. But part of what happened, I think, is that you had men um, really exploring stoicism from that more pure perspective, but then you had things like world wars where the majority of people that went to fight those world wars were men and they, they needed their stoicism to an extent to be able to go and fight those battles. I think that became true as even just as agriculture began to develop and communities started having to protect All the riches that they were growing and what a community had, if it was attacked by another community, you know, men had to become more stoic in their capacity for warfare. So I think that put stoicism in a different place where um, men needed more help than that, because I think when you're trying to process things like the trauma of war, uh, stoicism really isn't enough, you know. PTSD is a complex beast; it's a very, very difficult thing to navigate. And so, I think as trauma became more difficult to navigate, and you also just had honestly the serious, rampant issue of pedophilia that has been ongoing in our culture for generations. Um, I think it was very normalized. I know that in my family, there was like plenty of child abuse going back numerous generations. I think you had that too, where there was, you don't talk about the most horrific things. And so because there was a lot of repressed trauma from war and abuse, I think stoicism really didn't, the, the art of it didn't get maintained, um, because there was so much trauma to navigate. And now I think we're in a position where we do understand how to deal with trauma in a healthier way. We understand that trauma lives in the body. You know, I was looking at some very interesting research tonight about trauma living specifically in the fascia of the body and that fascial sure. release techniques can help us release trauma. I think you need to be, uh, be able to work with these complex truths about the body now to be able to live... Um, and practice stoicism correctly. You have to make sure that you're not full of repressed, stored up sort of somatic trauma sure. so yeah. that you're a clear vessel to be able to practice that kind of stoicism
1: right, exactly. See, in my manifestation techniques, or at least you know some of the some of the paths I studied, I, I look at it this way. What do we really want to manifest? And then, how do we use the emotions of that ultimate manifestation as fuel right it's that it's that hackneyed term uh fake it until you make it right do i feel this event that i want to manifest occurring right now where i am and i think part of this too is that the powers that be they realize that emotions are fuel and they realize that emotions are frequential waves That can be manipulated and somehow harvested if you ask me for my opinion and so i think you're right i think they want to maintain this constant level of stress once one crisis is over then that kind of tapers off but lo and behold we've got another one that we have to go after so it's this constant manifestation of fear and this constant pumping in of, of more fear porn from all across the mainstream media so i think stoicism would kind of help us out here To understand what's going on, realize and feel throughout our body that there is an energetic and frequential reaction in the form of emotions occurring right now, and kind of store that and process it before we actually use it as fuel to execute our reaction to that. And I'll go one step further. Have you done any research on AI? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So... There has been a lot of talk that I've been finding. Have you ever heard of Geordie Rose and Kindred AI? No, I haven't. Okay, so back in 2017, he gave a little speech. You can still find it on YouTube. And he was talking about how they were communicating with extra dimensional entities through AI. So AI is the medium to talk to these extra dimensional entities. And then we have that Google lawsuit going on here where somebody is suing google to say no the ai is sentient and google is saying no it's not so he also came out a couple of years ago and he talked about lambda which is the google ai and he references how the people that basically programmed lambda one was a Kabbalist, and ultimately that ai started to try to figure out how to conjure demons and started to ask people, what kind of rituals can we do to, to come up with more demons and all of this stuff? So if we take this one step further, if we are assuming that that is truthful, that AI is actually a medium for extra-dimensional entities or what they refer to as discarnate beings, and it's intelligent, do you think they're trying to manipulate the emotional awareness of human beings by introducing things like Neuralink? And connecting it to Starlink and 5G. Is that the ultimate 5G tool and takeover me- mechanism?
2: Well, I think there's no really getting around the fact that we are being pushed towards transhumanism. I think there there is a foundational uh, narrative that underlies so much of what is ongoing right now that is about transhumanism. And then that, you know, of course builds upon the fact that we are constantly disembodied and that they seek to disembody us and have us live in these perpetually disembodied states. And so you build that upon the fact that perpetually being disembodied and then worshiping the material realm disassociates us with our spiritual nature as beings. And so it does put us in a position to be manipulated in realms and aspects of our existence where many people are convinced doesn't even exist. And so it creates a kind of strategic blind spot in the human experience so that it's very much like fifth generation warfare, where we can be attacked in ways that are related to our spirituality um, that we have become disassociated from. And so I think there's a great deal of possibility when we're looking at, um, you know, people who worship AI as like a God, right? So there are, you know, allegedly people in these spaces Who kind of see AI as this manifestation of something godlike. And that again, that follows that path of pure materialism, that it is through the material realm that they believe there will be this achievement of greater power, um, that it's purely through the manipulation of the material realm, hence, you know, the manipulation of computers and AI and all that. So I think, you know, we are in a position where. Uh, We've been engineered to have a particular blind spot, and that does avail us to forms of manipulation that are quite dangerous. And so, you know, we need to be living in these more embodied ways to be able to navigate that. And so I can say that it's reasonable to cognize the possibility of these higher forms of manipulation using AI and and potentially like frequencies, things like 5G. I think that's um, something worth cognizing, but without being totally certain about, because we need to, with our bodies, get a sense of whether or not that is something that is actually occurring in our life. You know, is that something that I actually have to confront on a daily basis? What is my body telling me as I navigate each day? And some people that is true for them. There are people who are deeply deeply sensitive to frequencies even to just wi-fi um you know is very hard for some people and so there are varying degrees of sensitivity and i think there are reasons different people have varying degrees of sensitivity to this and so um we need to be embodied enough to navigate whether or not things like that are going on because if we're dealing with any kind of frequency-based warfare it is your mind uh observing your body that is going to give you the best information on that as opposed to reading a substack that gives you lots of information about these potential forms of warfare but gives it to you in a way that is actually relatively
1: disembodied. Does that make sense? Yeah absolutely have you ever uh brushed up on your Rudolf Steiner?
2: I've come across some of his stuff and, and now he has if Correct me if I'm wrong, but he has some information that he presented about the disassociation from the soul and warfare seeking to disassociate human beings from the soul. Is, that was him, right?
1: Yeah, that was him. Uh, yeah. And he also brings up something called the Eighth Sphere. Have you heard of that?
2: Mm, I'm not sure. Maybe. You'd have to okay. remind me.
1: No, no. It's very, very <laughs> obscure reference. Don't worry about it. So the Eighth Sphere is basically a spiritual cul-de-sac. So if you're going down spiritual progression of human beings, they come from a very light frequency, and then they descend into the most densest form, such as what we're experiencing right now. And then it continues to move up again. So it's almost like a death and a rebirth. So there are seven spheres of awareness in this process, right? So there is an eighth one, which is this spiritual cul-de-sac. And it, you think you're progressing. You think you're going through society with greater awareness, but it's really a false progression because it relies more and more on technology. And it forces people to be trapped in this technological loop. And I bring this um, example up. If we really wanted to communicate with somebody and we were thinking about them, we've all done this. We think about somebody and lo and behold, they text us or call us back. Do we really need a phone? Or are we just reducing the effectiveness of our own innate abilities? Right? If we develop our own abilities, we would be able to just contact somebody through thought. So do you think that we are currently potentially experiencing an eighth sphere kind of mindset, where, or society, I should say, where everything is so technologically driven, that spirituality and spirit has been removed from science. And that negates a lot of progression that mankind could be experiencing.
2: Yeah. And I think there's a couple different things going on with that. So on the one hand, you just have the natural forms of human progression where, you know, we were looking to understand how to manipulate the material realm more. And so in that process, we have become enamored because we're like children who just figured something out. So there's that natural part of it sort of non-conspiratorial part of it but then the part where you know i think it's worth looking at social engineering is is the role that culture plays here um because technology the development of technology does not have to be disassociated from spirituality right,
0: right? right. that's
2: not a necessity right. um and i think we have to wonder what would it be like if we had this technological advancement That was still balanced out by uh, a search for spiritual awareness or being grounded in a sense of um, awareness of our spiritual nature as beings or the spiritual nature of the reality in which we live in. Um, So you're looking at forms of materialist sort of uh, social engineering that causes our relationship with technology to be completely devoid of all spiritual awareness. Mm. And, uh, I think that does lead us in a very dangerous direction. Whereas like, what is the flip side of this? You know, I, I remember once coming across an interview, this was an alleged interview with an extraterrestrial. Um, and it was supposedly a military, uh, person who was interviewing a being that had crashed And whether or not this is true isn't really the point. The point was that in the interview, they asked this being about the development of their spirituality and their technology, and if they had reconciled the two. And the being's answer was they were never separate. And so we don't really understand the way you've separated them. That's alien to us. And I, I remember coming across that and thinking that that was very interesting and wondering what would it be like if we had developed technologically without becoming disassociated from our spiritual nature, you know, without this the, the errancy of the spirit of man, of of man's spirit wandering from from who he is. Um, I think a lot of that is intentional. So, you know, what do we do about that? I think we can make our relationship with technology more balanced in a spiritual way. I think if you are an embodied person, if you are doing practices that daily embody you and use this beautiful vehicle you have to travel this life, um, then your relationship with technology can become part of uh, your purpose on this planet. And it can be uplifted, you know, along with everything else you do. So it doesn't have to be about becoming a kind of Luddite being anti-technology. I think it's about infusing technology with the the purpose of each human being's quest to sort of expand awareness on this planet.
0: I think even just the fact that we have a podcast like this, where people can use technology, where we can make this world smaller. You're coming from Canada here. I am in Delaware, Chris up in New York, and we can have these type of conversations and, and bring people a, a knowledge base, free thinking. I think that's actually showing that there are uh, good stewards of a technology revolution. I'm gonna break here uh, today, ladies and gentlemen, for the show. And we'll be back on Wednesday with the other half of the interview with Simon Esler. I hope that you're enjoying it as much as I had. And Chris had an opportunity to speak with him. Uh, it was a phenomenal show and I think you're really going to enjoy Wednesday. It's going to get you thankful into that spirit for Thanksgiving. So tune back in on Wednesday here on the America Out Loud Network where we can finish that conversation. All right, everybody. I hope that we honored your time. Well, we'll be back Have a great rest of your week till we hear you again on Wednesday. Feel free to follow me at real Greg Bolden on Twitter and continue the conversation about what your thoughts were about today's show. You've been listening to America emboldened with Greg Bolden here on the America out loud network. Be bold America.